0: I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton.
1: I'm Erin Scala.
0: And here's our show today. Joy Cole of La Villana Wines in Italy. Hello, how are you?
1: Hello, I'm great. How are you?
0: Very nice to see you.
1: Very nice to see you.
0: So you went to school in Cornell.
1: I did. I did. What was that like? Very different from what I'm doing now. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) Yeah, hotel school. It was great. It was a lot of fun. The hotel school is a really small school. It's kind of like a high school within a really large campus. It was a great experience, though. I mean, I had a lot of fun, met really great people, and it's kind of what put me into the hotel industry or hospitality industry.
0: Why would you make that choice to begin with?
1: Gosh, it started with my father. He went to hotel school in Switzerland. So I kind of was always around that. And I thought that, yeah, maybe I'd want to go into that and work in hotels or travel the world doing that. It's kind of how I, I, how I started.
0: And I feel like you did a lot of trials of different kinds of aspects of the hospitality, restaurant, and retail. I really
1: did. I think I did it all, almost. You know, started in hotels, restaurants. All sides of the restaurant to the kitchen, front of house, everything. Working for distributors, suppliers. What was that like? You know, doing everything. If it doesn't teach you what you want to do, it teaches what you don't want to do. And you learn, you know, what, what is out there, what your options are. I was always involved with wine to some degree. And it was nice to be able to kind of dabble in every part of it to see what really drove me. Yeah, I'm convinced that every step I took brought me to where I am today.
0: So why wine, though?
1: So I went to the hotel school thinking that I wanted to work in hotels and after the first year was not convinced at all and was without a job and my dad who has always been passionate about wine was opening a wine store kind of like as a hobby in our hometown in Connecticut and asked if I would come help him open it. So I came back and I had to for the summer and I had to learn about wine obviously and that's kind of where the ball got rolling and I thought it was really fascinating and learning about how wine was made about wines, you know? I mean, at that point it was like differentiating between red and white. Seriously. Like there's Cabernet and there's Pinot Noir and there's Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc. And just like getting that down. Uh, it was really basic, but it started there. I, I enjoyed tasting it and, you know, learning about it. And that got the ball rolling. And I went back to Cornell and switched from a hotel concentration to beverage management concentration. And, took all their beverage courses, the wines courses, everything. I think I was one of the youngest in the wines course. I remember that. Normally it's like a senior's class. And I started TAing and started studying wine and stuck with that. And then it was just a matter of figuring out what I wanted to do with wine. I liked being around it, like tasting it, like sharing it with people, teaching it. And, uh, it all began there.
0: And what did you do after school?
1: After school? Oh my gosh. I remember I was jobless. It was like Totally in that time where it's impossible to get a job like your dream job. Um, I think where like my brother graduated a few years before me, and I remember for them it was like have your pick of like, any job you wanted, and for us it's like there's nothing <laughs> available.
0: Because it was like '09 ish.
1: Yeah. Yep, yep. '08 oh, was when that started the crash of the economy. I moved to New York and started working for guilt Taste, which is a startup that no longer exists, unfortunately. When we sold wine and food online, it was a great concept. Unfortunately, it didn't work out as you know, shipping, shipping wine in the States is near impossible. So for us to ship online was like a really big struggle. It cost a lot and it was impossible to ship to all the States and managing it. And so unfortunately it didn't work out. And uh, at that point I was working for the startup, which was a great experience, but you know, it lasted like, or I had days that lasted, you know, 12, 13, 14 hours, like in any startup, at least 12 hours a day at a desk and I was like this is not how I imagined myself you know talking about wine or even selling wine or just like being around it you know and when I had a few hours I'd go to tastings at the after work but it was rare because I was just always crunching numbers behind this computer and I think I just kind of hit like my personal breaking point where I was just like okay this is not what I want to be doing you know, I was just thinking today when I was coming in, how much I love the city when I'm not living here. But for me living here, I I just couldn't do it. You know, I was like disconnected from nature. And I'm realizing that was what I really liked about the wine was like connecting to the terroir, connecting to like where it's from. And you know, that, that something coming from the land can make this amazing product. And so I knew I had to make a change and figured I would do the only thing that I hadn't done up until now, which was get my hands dirty and see what it's like to make wine. And so I th- picked Italy. I don't, I've don't. i always just been drawn to Italy, and personally, they're my favorite wines. And so I...
0: That part I get, but the part where you picked Italy, I mean, that seems like the harder choice, like, for an but, American. Because Because, yeah. uh, you know, it would have been easier to go to California, Washington, Oregon, you know.
1: So, like, I'm going to maybe offend some people right now if I say this, but I think to learn how to make wine, like you have to go to the old world. I just, that's just how I feel. You know, like you need to, you're not learning it in a laboratory. You're not learning it like in the winery. You're first going to learn it understanding the grapes and, and and they're just naturally better at that because they're just doing it for longer. And I I mean, obviously this, don't get me wrong. I'm not like saying this doesn't exist in the new world, um, but they just have an older approach, more traditional approach. And that's what I wanted to see. You know, I really, did want to stomp grapes with my feet. It sounds so cliche, but I really did want to do that. And Italy, it's just like I've growing up going to Switzerland in the summers with my grandmother. She has a house on the border with Italy. So I was always around the Italian culture and I just love the way they speak and like loved their food. And, you know, and I was just like, this is just going to be so magical, (laughs) you know, really like who doesn't want to go to Italy to learn wine? And I actually thought, you know, I'd go, I'd stomp some grapes and then I'd go to Oregon or Washington or something and find some cool terroir there, and, like, start working there. And...
0: Because that's right about when I met you, when you were about to leave New York.
1: Yeah, yeah. We were tasting Masolino, right? Yeah,
0: Yeah. but you seem like... uh This is not a criticism. You seemed entirely different then than you do today.
1: Yes, I'm sure. What was I like?
0: To me. Yeah. You know what's the big difference Mm -hmm. besides the fact that you're looking less New York now? Yes. Is that you seem to have a very clear idea about what you're doing now. Yeah. Which at that time was not true. Yes. Really at all. Exactly. I didn't think.
1: No. You know what happened was I... Like I said, it was such a great experience, but I really put myself like in this mold of what I like thought meant defined success, which which wasn't right for me. But it was like, yeah, you're working for a startup in New York, like you have your apartment, like, yeah, it's like high success. And it just was like kind of a bit of a pressure for me to do something like that. Especially, you know, following my brother who's like this big wig in finance, and like my father's successful, and like, you know, you just felt like, you know, this is this is what who doesn't want to work for a startup? Like startup, you know? <laughs> great. Cool. And it is cool. And it just wasn't for me though, you know, and that, that's probably what you saw. Like I, I, just wasn't really in my,
0: I saw you in element. this idea of, I want to do something, but I don't know what. Yeah. That zone. Yeah.
1: That's exa- that's really, I was in that. Which in has got to feel
0: totally different than now.
1: Oh, completely. Right. Yeah. It definitely does feel different. Yeah. I left my job and I went to Rome and stayed in a friend, a very key friend, which you hear about in the future of <laughs> this conversation her apartment in rome um she offered it up she's like just go hang there until you find a job which was great i think i just ate mozzarella and prosciutto every day and <laughs> drank wine and ate a lot, literally until i found a job that was every day just walking and eating
0: i would put off job hunting for a while yeah six months of just,
1: yeah it was probably a little longer than i was supposed to but i was busy eating
0: i really like rome
1: yeah i do too it's amazing and you really can just walk that city all day every day and it doesn't get boring at all it's it's such a beautiful place and yeah so i was looking and all the connections really were to some of these big wig wineries and you can come do an internship or a stage in a laboratory as they say it with their accent like working in a lab like doing yeah like doing readings and mixing and analogies, and I was like, that's not what I meant when I said I want to learn to make wine, and, you know, I was like, no, I just really want to work in the vineyards, like, we don't have a job for you there, like, they just weren't sure how, really, to, like, where to put me.
0: Um, I wouldn't know, either, if there was a young American girl with no prior experience, I wouldn't necessarily know that she wanted to do vineyard work. Yeah,
1: no, exactly.
0: I I think that would take you to convince them.
1: Yeah, exactly, and, um, so I kind of was just, like, not finding the right fit, and I don't remember... (sighs) I have to ask Joey Campanelli about how this even happened. I'm trying to think. Like, I think he we emailed a little bit about different contacts that he had put me in touch with. And he was like, you know, you should go check out this winery that's just outside of Rome. And they make these really great natural wines. So you maybe you'd enjoy their project. So he said it was just outside of Rome. And I was like, oh, great, just outside of Rome. You know, I'll catch like one of... I don't know, like a bus that goes just outside of Rome. <laughs> and I started Googling them. And there's this, in this tiny town, the winery is called the Coste and it's in Gradoli, which is where I am now. And it's not just outside of Rome. I guess maybe from like, if you're from New York standards, yes, but it's two hours outside of Rome and really difficult to get to. So I had to rent a car, but I, I you know, I sent them an email and I was, you know, I'd like to come work for you. Is that okay? And they said, yes, like, come up, we'll talk. I went up had a great experience so you were I ride there in my little smart car <laughs> and uh, pulled up. I think I got lost like six times on the way because it's just not that easy to drive in Italy. And it was so amazing. You kind of drive up. It sits, Gradoli sits on a massive crater lake and their vineyards are right like on the hillsides facing the lake. They're facing southeast. And you kind of just like drive up and you're coming from like below another hill. So you kind of come up and this lake just opens up in front of you. It's so breathtaking. It's really really picturesque and they have these really amazing vineyards that they've built. I think they have about five hectares now of their own. And uh, yeah, it is completely different from anything I ever saw. Not nothing mechanical, all by hand, like complete, very natural. They have this like amazing microclimate there, obviously with the lake and like fruit trees growing right in the middle of their vineyards. Like there's no like monoculture, you know, it's just like really like this jungle of flora and fauna, It's really beautiful. They have like 10 hectares, I think, of land. And part of it goes down into this foso, which I guess is like a creek at the bottom. It's a lot of these, if you think of like a crater lake, obviously the lake is the center and then hills go up all around it. But it's not like one large hill that's surrounding, you know, it's like hills with valleys. Every hill is like a few hectares large and then dips down and back up again. So yeah, they have these terraces that go down to this creek that technically runs into the lake. And they've kept those completely abandoned. Like, they, didn't, they haven't cleaned them, and the intention is to have animals there. And put the higher-up parts that are, they cleared a little bit is where the vineyards are. And, yeah, the idea is to kind of create a, a dynamic environment where everything really does work together.
0: Like an ecosystem of some kind. Yeah,
1: exactly, right. exactly. And they've totally done that. I mean, they've been comp- very successful doing that.
0: So you arrive, and what would you tell them?
1: So, yeah, I said, you know, I'd like to work for you for a little bit, I didn't know. I was like, I'd love to... St- it was summer, I think. I was like, I'd love to stay through harvest. And, you know, like, yeah. Have you like, tried the wines yet? Or? I did. I only tried one of their wines I thought, before I had arrived, which was their Litrozzo Bianco. And that's actually like... I was like, yeah, this is great. A winery near me, but I've never heard of them. Like, is this going to be a good experience? And when I tried that wine, I was like, yes, this is totally where I want to go. It's completely raw. Like, you just... It's just like grapes and you're like, you can tell these grapes are like screaming their terroir. It's like, sounds so weird, but like, it's unlike any other wine I ever had. And you know, it's because it's where it's from. And the fact that it's like not been manipulated so much, you know, um, it's a funky wine, but I, I love it. I love it.
0: That seems it's, like a big shift from the kind of wines that I associate with the guilt group. Yeah. Lineup.
1: Well, that, you know, that's actually one of the things I struggled with when I was there. I, you know, I wanted to bring in these funky natural wines, But there are two things. One, it's harder to sell because there's limited quantities. And two, it's harder to sell because it's just unknown and people are terrified of these types of wines because they don't, they can't really expect what they're going to be drinking and that scares them. And also just like from a like financial for them, it's in their best interest, obviously, to just sell wines that really they can push and sell and big names, big money, you know, and I understand that. But, uh, yeah, it was, like, against my, my heart, my beliefs, really. And, yeah, they it. So it I'm, must
0: have felt like a release then to, com- like, yeah. be like, oh, I don't have to deal with any of that anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah, I really was. Every, every decision I was making at that point was for me, which was nice. Really nice. So, yeah, I went up there, and I tasted with Gianmarco and Clementina, and it was such a crazy experience. I mean, they are just, like, packed, like, the, like they're filled with emotion and ideas and passion and that was really exciting I was like this is this is where I want to go these people are going to actually teach me and make me do things and like I, I wanted to go somewhere where they really were going to make me work I wasn't going to just you know they're gonna be like yeah you know cut some some grapes and put them in a basket and that's it like you know it like put me to work it really did which is great it's what I wanted so yeah, I started right away. I think it was July. Well, and I started thinking of end of August for Harvest.
0: What is it that they saw in you, do you think?
1: That I really wanted to have an experience. Like, I, you know, no bullshit, really. I came dressed to work on the first day. I was like, do you need me to work today? You know, I think that that's, they liked that. They liked to see that. Um, it wasn't like a frilly, like, experience. Like, I really wanted to get my hands dirty.
0: I mean, there's some relation to working in the kitchen as a girl, right? Yes. Similar. Yeah, You know,
1: completely. You have to like show you want to be there and you want to get your hands dirty. Like, you really want to do everything. And I made that really clear from the beginning. They're like, why? I was like, you know, I, I want to learn everything. Like make me do everything. Like I, there's nothing that I think is below me ever. And that's the only way you can really like learn how to do something. I think you have to just be able to no judgments, no nothing. Just, you know, do everything. And, yeah, I mean, I was working, like, (laughs) I remember when I arrived and I was convinced that I could speak Italian, like, fluently after being in Rome. I was like, yeah, you know, I got this, no problem. I arrived on the first day. He's like, metti il tubo nel mostello. And I was like, what the hell did he just say? I have no idea. He just said, put the tube in the bucket. And I was like, I literally stood there like, blinking not i had no idea and he's like yelling at me and i was like this is gonna go so well i have no idea this vocabulary was it like a
0: dialect thing or
1: yeah dialect and also just vo- yeah vocabulary that i've never used before like who uses like right. you know press or pumps or like i never used that when i was ordering mozzarella and prosciutto in rome <laughs> yeah but then they he immediately put me with his whole crew that was working the vineyards and they're all from moldavia and they all spoke among themselves and I obviously had no idea what they're saying was not learning Italian that way either. So it was like a lot of days just like complete silence before I was like kind of, they like let me in and started to speak with me in Italian and, and I could get by. Yeah, it was, it was a crazy experience. I, when I got there, I knew within a week that I was going to stay.
0: Forever even. Forever. Because you have a winery there now.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I can't leave that now. <laughs>
0: I mean a lot of that seems like a short amount of time to Yeah, me, the
1: whole thing. I mean, if you think I, that was August two thousand thirteen. Yeah, not even three years ago. That's an incredibly short amount of time to do that. It was all like luck and misfor luck and misfortune. Really.
0: And that same amount of time what I've managed to achieve is to lose more hair and become more balmy. <laughs> like <and> that's, <laughs> uh, and that's same three years. Like that's <laughs> it's been a big achievement. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's also given me a lot of gray hairs doing this in three years. <laughs> yeah. As
0: a, I mean, I imagine it's stressful working with yeah. like uh, Italian bureaucracy. And
1: stuff. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, I, before I even got there, just like a year of intense doing what I was doing. Like that was.
0: So what was that? What did you do at La Costa?
1: Name it. And I did it. Yeah. I, like honestly, I think, and that was, that was the great part was everything in the vineyards. I did everything in the cellar. I mean, yeah, I really, like I was saying, I really wanted to prove to him that, like, he wasn't wasting his time having me there. So, you know, I lifted all the heavy stuff. I mean, I got jacked. <laughs> I got it. No joke. I was, I had to lift so many heavy things and, like, you know, climbing up ladders into these massive tanks and falling off the ladders and, you know, did just everything. I did everything in the cellar, every, everything, bottling, labeling, and the coolest parts was when I was with him alone in the cellar and he was deciding like what to do with wines, where to, you know, keep them aging, take them out, mix them, blend them, you know, whatever. And that, that's where you like really get to learn. Like when you see him like being like, ah, this wine has a problem and how am I going to fix it? Or how am I, am I going to leave it? You know, making those decisions. Those are were, those were more important, I think, than everything else. Everything else is labor, really.
0: So where was he coming from in terms of what were the, the influences that were really prevalent in his own thinking?
1: So Marco was a wine writer, and so he had, like, and he was writing, I'm um, drawing a blank for that big major Italian wine magazine.
0: Portos or something?
1: Right, Portos, thank uh, you. Yes, uh, a very successful writer. And so he had a lot of contacts. And he's a really, I hate using this word, extreme, because I don't find what he believes to be extreme or what I to do to be extreme. But obviously, as in a world that's so commercial, like us doing, going to the really far side of being natural is considered extreme when that really was the original. And we've kind of come to this commercial thing that to me is way more extreme, but that's a whole other philosophical conversation. But um, yeah, so I guess you could, in that sense, he's extreme and really wanted to like bring back the original way that a winery was made. And it was, it's not just about making wine or growing grapes, but it's about creating this ecosystem that we've lost. You know, in, in all this monoculture, farming, agriculture. And I think that's really what motivated him. He's also, like, anti-corruption, anti <laughs> And he's in Italy. So he's trying to, like, really do something independent, alone, self-sufficient, successfully. And that's great for the planet as well.
0: He's working with a host of different grape varieties.
1: Yeah. Mostly Sangiovese, which are local Sangiovese. You, know, you know, there's all these different clones and all slightly different. It's called Gregetto. And that's his red. And he also, I think, has some canaiolo, some giliegiolo. And as far as whites, he's working with procanico, which is trebbiano, really. It's, it's, I mean, there's definitely a difference between us and Montefiscone, which is on the other side of the lake. Their trebbiano is a little bit different. And yes, we locally call it procanico. And he has some vermentino and some other local grapes. But um, really, I'll, I'll talk to him this stuff.
0: So that must have been interesting for you. Probably yeah. you hadn't even drunk a lot of wines from those grape varieties sometimes. Right? And mm-hmm. then you're actually working with them in terms of planting them and trellising them. And-
1: yep. I think it was more also just working with autochthonous grapes. Where we are, now there's about three or four new wineries. But up until 10 years ago, it was dying. Like dying. There was no, like people ripping out their vineyards. And um, there was just like no future in agriculture. But everything that was there up until that point was Procanico and and Greghetto, pretty much. And when like the opportunity came for people to come in and replant, like it seemed obvious to me that you just put back what there was. And instead some people kind of just brought in all like the famous French varietals to make like a a Bordeaux style in another place.
0: What was the history of the region and why was there a decline?
1: Actually, we have in our town was Lazio's largest co-op winery. And... um, The area actually was famous for its Gregetto. I mean, it has an insane microclimate. It's beautiful. It's it's got the volcanic soils. It really does make beautiful wines. And people used to be able to live there off of a hectare of land and survive. They just would sell their grapes to the co-op. This was a massive co-op. And it just kind of got in the wrong hands. And it kind of started going downhill. And newer generations went out to work for factories. This is what happens in a lot of Italy. You know, factories come in and it's a better job, it's more stable, and it's not as draining as agriculture. And it kind of slowly died out. You know, aside from us, a few of us, like, young people are starting new things. Everyone that's there are retired, you know, 75 to 85-year-olds who are still working their land. because They can't not do what they've been doing their entire life. There really is no one in, like, the generation between us and the 85-year-olds.
0: That's so incredible.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really impressionable. I mean, you drive by this co-op and it's like sad. It's so, I mean, I was in there the other day. It's completely dead. It's completely taken over with mold. It's, it smells terrible. It's just like such a sign of like, but like, you know, there's just so much history there and it just kind of got in the hands of the wrong people and failed. And and so people tore out their vineyards. They like would just put in olive trees because it was easier to maintain. something they could do on the weekends when they weren't working and it uh kind of died out which is unfortunate but that's kind of like what motivated me also when i was like gonna stay there and I, I, I love the idea of like kind of a resurgence bringing it back
0: there seems to be a desire to be around some older people mm-hmm. in, a, in what you're doing now
1: they have they're packed with knowledge how to farm this land where i am and I mean, they're incredibly stubborn and they have like only their way of doing things. And so, but it's important to know how they did it and why they did it that way. And like, maybe I have a different way of doing it, but it's just like, you can't just come in with like all your new modern experiences and think that you can just do it your way. It's, I mean, they've been doing it for generations in a certain way for a certain reason, right? So yeah, they're very influential.
0: So did you Um, see characteristics of that local Sangiovese that you thought were notable?
1: Oh yeah. They have these tiny, 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 (laughs) relatively small berries, tightly packed, and really awesome acidity that just works so well with the volcanic soils. And I don't know, like, I mean, I know he brought in other Sangiovese from, I think he kind of, I think he might have, I don't know if I was supposed to say this, but I think he might have kind of stole some some grafts from Soldera, which is kind of cool. So he he did bring in some Sangiovese from outside the area, just because there's not, like, you're not guaranteed what you're getting, you don't. Unless you have someone really good at reading grapes, but uh, from the locals, because you know someone will tell you they have sangiovese, and you go in, you're like, "This is not. This is all chilejolo." Like <laughs> these, you know, just like some old guys who are not aren't sure anymore what they have in their vineyards. But um, but yeah, um, it's definitely a sangiovese that's kind of like become specific to our area. You can totally see the differences. I think, you know, for me, I. I'm going like a different route. All these old guys who are actually really influential to me, all these older men who work there think I'm crazy because I'm, will be planting my vineyards at 600 meters above sea level. It's pretty high. Yeah, it is. Um, They have this traditional way of um, that. They would evaluate their vineyards because, because everything went to co-ops, the co-op kind of assigned zones to the different levels of the, Hillsides and zone one was right in the middle, like the classic 350 meters above sea level, perfect exposure. Zone two was just below that, closer to the lake. And then zone three, which is like the, their idea, the worst, was lake level and 600 meters above sea level. So when I tell them I'm planting up there, they look at me like, that is completely sacrilegious. you would, Why would you plant in zone three? It's zone three, it's the worst zone. That's like, no, it's maybe the worst zone for like Aliatigo, which is one of our local varietals because it's just not gonna mature well up there. It's too cold, but not for maybe Chigliadrolo, which is something that I wanna do. So it's like kind of a balance between you wanna keep the old world and the idea that I'm, you're using a scrapes, but I mean, I am an American in Italy. Like I can't deny that I, I'm like, a, it's a really modern thing that I'm doing. So there is still that modern idea, which is like, you know, just bringing in new ideas. I just, I think it fascinates me. I think you can do really cool things at a higher elevation.
0: And what was the segue from working for La Costa to having your own winery?
1: In the end, I worked there for a little bit more than a year, and I hoped to work there and slowly start a project on my own, and maybe under like his advisory or using his winery. um, Unfortunately, we didn't have the same ideas for what I wanted to do, Um, and I mean that happens all the time. You know, you have someone working for you, you want them to stay there working for you, and like. know that's that's fine I just I was ready to at least start on my own I want I would have loved to stay but so we parted ways sooner than I wanted to definitely I wanted at least a full year cycle I wanted more than one but you know at least I could see you know the evolution of one vintage so (laughs) I kind of panicked that's for sure (laughs) immediately (laughs) because you know I I was the idea was like you know I was going to be in a safe place I was going to continue working for someone who's really inspiring to me and slowly start and like slowly figure out where I wanted to be like find my plot of land start with a hectare max you know which is already a lot and and work that way and it didn't work out that way so I really had to like plan quickly and this is like where that was the misfortune that was followed by a lot of fortunes I had a lot of Um, a lot of these contadini, these old guys who had old plots of land of their old vines that they wanted to, you know, hang the towel on. And they were like, please, you know, take these over and start working these, which was great because they gave me all their old vines and I was able to play around with those. And that's what I'm still playing around now. And at the same time, this friend of mine where I stayed in Rome, I was saying before, she and I partnered up and we decided to create this winery together, which is awesome. She's, She's a great business partner. And so, yeah, we were together. We bought a farmhouse and all of the land around it, and which gave us about three hectares to plant, which we'll be planting the next two years. So it it really did happen really fast. So I've had one vintage now of all old vines, and this will now be my second. And yeah, so I'll have a few years just old vine wines, and in a few years, I'll be be making wine from our, our new stuff.
0: What did you find in terms of the vines over there already?
1: So mostly is it's greghetto mixed with Canaiolo and chiriogiolo, and that's what you see in like the red vineyards. And the whites, typically they're like more heavy Procanico. For some reason, the ones that I snagged have also a lot of Malvasia in them, which I I personally am a fan of. I don't I love Malvasia. It's, it's nice balance with the Procanico. So yeah, that's the white. And this year I also got some Aliatico, which Again, these Contadini are really angry with me because I'm not going to be making a Pasito, a classic Aleatico di Gradoli, which is their sweet wine. Instead, I'll probably make it into a Rosato. It's my intention. Yeah, I love it. Like that directly pressed. It's really nice, refreshing wine.
0: Is there a, a tradition of that there or no?
1: Rosato, Aleatico, yeah. not at all.
0: Interesting. Yeah. you think it would be a natural.
1: Yeah, no, they're like, this is a sweet wine. <laughs> like... I don't care if you hang dry it i don't care if you dry it on the vine but you're making a sweet wine <laughs> no i'm not making a sweet wine aside from the fact that like it's just a daunting thing for me now like to think to it's a hard thing to do well
0: do you go to church there
1: oh yeah church i said no, <laughs> no well
0: church. i'm asking because do they serve uh,
1: uh i actually don't know what they serve in the church
0: it's probably aliatico sweet it's wine. gotta be so you're probably like that's probably the reason yeah maybe do you know what i mean a lot of yeah. times the wine yeah. that they serve at these yeah. The that's, that's true. sweet.
1: Yeah. It's also, it's like they're, it's what they're known for. They're known for their fagioli, their beans. They're this one, white bean, that e fagioli del Purgatorio, and their Aleatico di Gradoli, which is like Aleatico, aside from Isla del Ba, it's the only other place that's like a toctinous grape. This this Aleatico.
0: So a lot of fragrance.
1: A lot. A lot. It's an early ripening, super fragrant. I mean, right now it's flowering. It, the vineyards, oh my God. You can just smell it from, a, like, a far away. Yeah, really fragrant. And it's great as a sweet wine. It's just not my thing. Um, but I, that's why I love it as a rosato. You know, it's got that super fragrant stuff, but it has a really nice, like, Pompelmo grapefruit acidity.
0: Does it develop high sugars? That's why you have to pick it early? Yeah. What about Chilajolo, which I particularly like how you say, by the way? Chilajolo. Yeah, you say it much more beautifully than I do. <laughs> but what's it like to work with that grapefruit?
1: This is all based on intuition. I don't know much, like... Up until now, I've just kind of thrown it in my red wine. Um, but I love the way it tastes. And I've had some people's the ajolos, but I, I, I'm i really loving I love the idea of making a pure the ajolo because I'm on high altitude and I, I just think it would do really well. I hope. Because I mean, I'm going to plant <laughs> over a hectare, so it better do well. <laughs> no. Um, Yeah, I.
0: I mean, that's kind of against the market trend, right?
1: Yeah, I know.
0: I don't see so many. I mean, I've seen a few. Yeah,
1: have you? I don't know what is it like in New York. I don't. I have no idea.
0: There's a handful of them tend to be medium weight, a red fruit, not with a lot of grip.
1: Yeah, I think like acidity might be an issue. Definitely, Um, that's like the one thing that I'm. I literally am like, well, I wonder what that's going to be like. You know, is that going to be my problem. Like making sure it has enough acidity. Um, I don't plan to put it in definitely in, like no new wood, old, old, old stuff that I'm hoping will just like have it settle. And, but not nothing. I'm hoping that will sh- influence. And if so, then chestnut.
0: Yeah. Is there um, a tradition of chestnut in the area?
1: Those who used wood? Yeah, definitely used chestnut, but it's really rare that they used wood. Um, if you go into people's cellars, it's just all glass. They love Dummy Chutney. Like, I've got some, I got some old barrels for, like, I got lucky that I found those. But the rest that I, the people were like, yeah, I have some old stuff for you, you should take it. It's all, like, completely rotting in households. I don't know how they are making wine in it, but it's, like, not, not acceptable. Um, yeah, it's rare that you see it here, really. So, uh, yeah, but I, I think it would be nice, right? Some, I some love chestnut.
0: But what drew you to chestnut originally? Just the taste of it.
1: Yeah, I love it. I actually love whites and chestnut. It's yeah, me really too. yeah. We I, like you see you definitely don't see a lot of wood in our old cellars, like in our town. But you definitely know that they were using cement. A lot of these old cantinas, they, like you can see where the cement tubs were. Like that they, they've taken out to use stainless steel now, but they all got rid of them. I haven't. I I've, I've been like trying to get some of these guys to grab some old bottles so we can like taste them. Yeah, but um, is the there few anything that in the are, cellar? Yeah, but they never. Their n- intention was never to age. Right, like they, it was like I'm making wine. It's one of my like survival things. Like, like I'm gonna make potatoes. I'm gonna have potatoes. I'm gonna have beans. Like I grow beans and all my other vegetables. And this is my wine, and it's meant to last for the year. Like they were never trying to make more than than like what they needed.
0: So was the tradition for blending across grape varieties or individual grape varieties?
1: Definitely some blending. I think I don't know how this like comes about because it's never. It was never really about like doing a single vineyards or like single grapes it's it was all kind of just like you did what you need to do to make a wine you know i don't think there was a lot of art or thought behind it um but who knows why or who brought in what grapes like why did canaiolo come around or to i don't have no idea about those like the history but everyone always had some of it in there probably because like when they went to plant they mixed they got like some some of their stuff mixed up and didn't plant a hundred percent gregetto and it turned out good obviously you know that happens a lot and then it's kind of stuck that way. You know, they kept using it. But, you know, it's always, like, small amounts. So it was always majority... You're looking at over 80% Gregetto. Definitely. Always. Um, you see some of them who, like, are still going now. They, maybe in the last 10 years they planted Montepulciano. They're, like, into that. That's, like, the new thing for these old guys. It's cute. <laughs> but um, that. And then and Procanico and Malvasia. Definitely, like, a lot of Malvasia. And they kind of did that to give some more fragrance, I think, to the Procanico.
0: Oh, they blended those two together. Yeah,
1: yeah, totally. And what's that like? I think, I love Malvisia. It's intense, and I, I don't think you need it with Procanico. I think Procanico also alone, or maybe mixed with some other stuff, you could probably do that, but I love the way Procanico is on its own. I think like, Trebbiano, made in like, mass production, can get really flat, or really like, uninteresting. But when it's curated well, I think left on the vines a little bit longer. Lower yields, obviously, it's got a lot of potential and makes some beautiful wines. Definitely. I mean, they like, when we're harvesting Procainico, it's the most beautiful. It's like some of them are, like, rose-colored, some are copper-colored. The grapes are just amazing. They're so beautiful.
0: Is there a tradition of skin contact with that?
1: Yeah, definitely. Oh, there is. Yeah. It's not, like, required. It's not, like... Some do press directly, and some will have skin contact for, you know, I think they'll do it for like a few days, up to a week. I like up to a week, personally. I like a little bit more skin contact on the white.
0: And so it's volcanic soil, but it's also a red topsoil?
1: In some areas. Yeah, not everywhere, though. The topsoils will vary majorly, depending on where you are. Or like I said, like where I have I have very little topsoil. Um, I'm, like, straight to Tufo, almost, on the top of volcanic. Yeah, totally depends. But it's And it's all just because of what's been carried away, what's been carried down. I mean, like, obviously, when you're down on the lake, it's super fertile, too fertile, obviously, to, for grapes. It's, like, potato land. But it depends on, on where.
0: So is there anybody else working at 600 meters, or...?
1: No, not at that height, not producing um, commercially. There is another amazing young guy, Okipinti Andrea, in our area. He's a little bit below. I think he's probably like five, 450,
0: 500. He does a lot of work with Aliatico.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's great. I mean, he experiments a lot with Aliatico. But yeah, he's a little bit below me. I'm the only one that's up at that level.
0: And you decided to do it as a farm, not just as a winery.
1: Yeah, it's kind of goes back to similar to what I love... What Gianmarco and Clementina do is that they kind of created this like microclimate or this closed loop idea of everything has a purpose, but and it's helping something else kind of. And it's not just for like one sole selfish purpose that I'm doing one thing. And my fiance has sheep, which is really great working with him, bringing the sheep into the vineyards. It's like helps both of us, obviously, both the, helps the vineyards fertilizing and it uh, feeds the sheep and that's that's also really important to me
0: does he make cheese or he does yeah what's does. that like do you help with that or
1: uh i do <laughs> he makes a really traditional cheese for the area a pecorino but they also eat it fresh and i kind of like influ- this is again this like tradition versus like new thing and i try to influence like making natural cheeses like making some stinky cheeses which like he can't stand because it's just like he never grew up with stinky cheeses but i think they're great you know and I'm trying to get them to, to try to make some other, other stuff. Because, I mean, that place is also great for cheese. I mean, it's just like uh, the microclimate is also awesome for sheep's milk. Makes some great cheeses. So,
0: so all in, what's it going to look like?
1: We're starting with three hectares. It's probably going to be... So, maybe it'll be a little... Yeah, probably be a little bit more white heavy than red. Because I just love the broconico on the volcanic soils. Um, I'm not looking to make a huge team. You know, I really... I like, you know, me and maybe a couple of guys that are helping me. So, between two, two, two and a half hectares of old vines and these three, I'm, I'm, I'm good. That's enough for now, at least. Um, and then, you know, for kids one day they can always grow it. That's that's their decision. But we're also bringing in a horse or two. I haven't decided on the second one yet to do some manual labor in the vineyards. Uh, we have obviously my fiance has 400 sheep. So that's a whole other part of the equation. And, and we also have all of our other animals that feed us throughout the year. Pigs. What's the word in English? Oh, rabbit. <laughs> conillo, And chickens, yeah. And, and that's kind of the idea is to kind of be able to live off the land and while well, we're making wine and cheese. And we also just bought a plot of land that's on one of the main roads, so we're hoping to build like a little market stand there to also sell to locals. I think that's really important. I don't want to just be there making products that that they don't have access to.
0: And what's the vision for where the wines are going to sell?
1: Definitely in the U.S., that's a dream of mine. And, and then who knows? You know, I dream of selling it all over, all over. I mean, it's not going to be massive production, so it's going to be limited quantities, but You know, so it's either do I want to develop one market really well or do I want to have a little bit in all the different markets? I'd love to just
0: But you envision it as an export product, not something that you sell at the farm stand.
1: Yeah, the wine definitely. Unfortunately, like, the economy is not strong enough in Italy that they can support. I mean, like, I will have – I'll be making wine that I can sell to locals, but that's going to sell for, like, maximum three, maybe four maximum euros a liter. I mean, they literally, when I – when I'm like, you know, five, five a liter, they, they look at me like, that's way too much. So, I mean, they pay nothing for wine and they also can make it themselves. So, yeah, but I do want to have something for them, but it won't be, it won't be the stuff that I'm exporting.
0: And you're planning a winery facility. Yeah. So, yeah, what's yeah. that like?
1: Um, oh, <laughs> bureaucracy in Italy there. Luckily, uh, having an investor is great because they actually give you quite a bit of money in Italy to help you. Build or buy equipment. You know you're looking up to sixty percent of of your costs being covered. You just need to have the liquidity in the beginning to to pay, and then they'll eventually pay you back. So I'm one step ahead of the game in that sense that I'm able to invest right away and and build, and they'll be paying me back. And it's just a matter of time to get projects approved. Like you have, in order for me to build a winery, I have to send project down to Rome, to like some... I don't know who sits in an office in Rome and is looking at my... I have no idea. And they say yes or no. Our area is has a lot of restrictions because the Etruscans were there, so there's an archaeological restriction. But I mean, I'll be building something that respects all of that. I don't want to build some massive thing that is, you know, an eyesore, of course. But yeah, there's like a lot of steps involved.
0: What's going to be important in terms of components and the actual facility?
1: So... um. Because it's all tufo below us, which is great. It's great to dig into. Um, I can make a winery that's completely underground and have its own temperature control. So I don't have to bring in a lot of equipment for that. And um, I'm really keeping it simple. I think the beauty about where we are is, is it's natural beauty. There's no need to make anything like special in the cantina.
0: In terms of Elevage, I mean, how long is it going to be before a wine is sold? Like, once it comes in as grapes, like, what's the turnaround time? So,
1: right now, with all these old vines, um, it's fun. It's a a matter of experimenting um, and seeing what quality they have and if they have the ability to even age. Um, Or, you know, some of them, unfortunately, like, need to be recuperated a bit and brought back to life. And then I can decide whether or not, like, some of these vineyards have aging potential. Um, like it's really like, that's where I have to decide first. Um, so right now everything is kind of just meant to be consumed young and I have like put, you know, a little bit of every wine that I've made, not everyone, but a few of them in, in some wood to see if they can age or, um, left some obviously in bottles to the other ages for me. Like I don't have the experience in the area nor working in other places, you know, so I don't, I don't know how these grapes are going to age. I've I've seen them where I was working, how they aged, but that's also the different terroir different elevation different vineyard techniques so those, those are all factors that are kind of playing in the game of just experimentation right now
0: what do you see as the biggest challenge i had for you
1: experience you know this isn't like a family winery of taking over i didn't study analogy or agriculture and it's just like kind of just throwing caution to the wind and just trying it and and seeing you know how it goes and, and you know sometimes it'll be it's Turns out great, and sometimes I just totally messed it up, and you just have to be okay with that, and like willing to take that risk. At this point, yeah.
0: So, if someone were to come to you and say they wanted to do something similar, what would you tell them?
1: Do it. (laughs) Um, Do it, definitely. I like don't. There is don't let anything stop you. Just try it. Just try it. Like fear. I mean, I think that's true in anything, right? If fear consumes you, it's not going to turn out well. You just have to. Grab the bull by the horns, I thought they said.
0: <laughs> Joy Cole would rather consume wine than fear. Thank you very yes. much for being here today. <laughs> Thank you, Joy Cole of La Valana Wines. All drink to that is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Skella has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs.